Well, I'd like to talk today about revival. And there's a definition appearing here. There it is. Revivalism is a, mo a movement that promotes periodic spiritual intensity. Isn't it a shame it's not continuous spiritual intensity? But I guess that's how we know it's different from other times. Uh, this is a periodic spiritual intensity in congregational life, or in our personal life, during which the unconverted come to Yeshua and the converted are shaken out of their spiritual lethargy. It's interesting because as a Jewish person, people always want to know, you know, if I was converted, and I'd say to them, well, as much as any believer is converted, we all have to be converted. We have to accept Yeshua as our Messiah. So that definition was kind of from a dictionary of Christianity in America. But uh, I would say, well, let, let me give you another quote. I don't think I wrote this one down. This is from Spurgeon. The word revive wears its meaning upon its forehead. It is from the Latin and may be interpreted thus, to live again, to receive again a life which has almost expired, to rekindle into a flame the vital spark which was nearly ex extinguished. So revival can be a congregational, corporate revival, or it can be personal revival. I would hope that all of us are striving for personal revival. If we are all revived, guess what? The congregation's revived. So, beginning Saturday evening on June 4th, that's Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost. It is all about revival as we see that on that date in Exodus 20, we receive the Ten Commandments, and in Acts 2, we receive the power of God's Spirit. And I always like to say that the Word of God without the Spirit of God just is not effective in that same way. We, it's, it's the Spirit of God that helps us understand the Word of God and also helps us apply the Word of God. And both of these holy days, actually one holy day, two different times, uh, roughly 1,300 years apart. And uh, it's pretty exciting that God would give us both on the same day. So I'd like to talk to you about nine characteristics of revival. Number one, believers are transformed from lethargy to excitement about God. Is there anybody who feels lethargic this evening? You don't have to raise your hand, by the way. Don't do that. It's probably too dark anyway. I can't even hardly see you out there. But uh, this is a time where we dedicate to God. He is our number one. He, our, our activities 
focus on God. Even if there are activities outside, we are always focused on God. That is revival. That is revival. Two, believers are continuously evangelizing. They're continuously speaking about God. And so I, 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 you know, it's kind of funny. Some of you know I go to PDQ a lot, a lot. And, and when, I, when I go, uh, there's usually the same gal at the counter. And on, sometimes I'll go uh, like on a Sunday or a Monday, and she'll say, well, how is services? Because we've already had the talk. And I ask her how her services were and her Easter, and she asked me how my Passover was, and we have a good time. But wherever you are, God is there. Speak about him. Number three, sinners come to know Yeshua as their Messiah. You know, in revival, it's, you know, I haven't seen a lot of revivals. I came to know the Lord in the middle, well, towards the late 60s. And that was just the, the beginning of what is called the Jesus movement in the 70s. And that was an amazing revival because people started accepting the Lord, or Jewish people started accepting the Lord for no apparent reason. I mean, there was just not one teaching or something that did it, but all of a sudden, Jewish people all over the country and literally all over the world, right at the time, prophetically, where God said it would happen when Jerusalem was uh, taken back by the Jewish people, that all of a sudden, Jewish people started accepting the Lord. And we see in Acts 2, 3,000 accepted the Lord. Now that would be a good day. A very good day. And I'm expecting, I'm expecting tremendous things to happen. It's hard to talk about faith and hope and not expect. Right? Four, sermons focus on sin and salvation and God's mighty power, not theology and culture. You find that in, in a time of revival, Sermons aren't as much teaching as they are asking people to look at themselves and to be transformed by the living God. And so we see this was certainly true for Peter, wasn't it? Uh, in, two, in Acts 2.17, he said, And it shall be in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my ruach, my spirit, on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and old men shall dream dreams. And, you know, I'm still waiting for that outpouring on the Jewish people. That there, there would just be an amazing outpouring. Number five, believers are touched by music and sermons in a greater and more exciting way than other times. Peter was transformed in order to give the message, but you know, the people who heard him were transformed in order to hear the message. 
you know, you, you have to have an open heart. And, and God just opened the heart of all those people in the book of Acts. This is an amazing time. This is a work of God. Number six, greater unity. I don't know if this is the most difficult of the nine things, but it's easy to have unity when you don't rub shoulders with people. But when you do a Passover Seder for 300 people, unity definitely becomes more important because the enemy is, is trying to do the exact opposite. He's trying to divide people, and he does a really good job unless we say no. And in a revival, there's tremendous unity. People are, they're, they're not making the minors majors. They're focused on God. They're focused on their, the seeking God first. They're, these are the things, uh, and, and there was so much unity in the book of Acts, they were sharing meals and finances together. That's a lot of unity. Number seven, spiritual gifts seem to appear in greater intensity and frequency. So, if you are interested in what I believe about the spiritual gifts, I won't tell you today. But I will tell you next Saturday, because after I do the law to, uh, tomorrow for a foundations class, the next Saturday I'm doing this, the, the uh, gifts of the Spirit. So we can have a fun talk about that. If you get through these two classes unscathed, then, then you're doing really well. Usually I get somebody upset about something. Um, but, but God has unleashed his gifts. And, and this is something that we really also have to seek after. It's... It's important to seek after the gifts, but it's first important to seek after God and the gifts that he wants to give us. And so we'll talk about that, but uh, let me just mention there certainly was speaking in tongues in the book of Acts. And, uh, but there were a lot of other things as well. And one of, one of the most amazing gifts, uh, really, I think, is the gift of prophecy. Uh, that, that is just an amazing... Anyway, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, number eight, believers have the gra a greater ability to overcome sin because the power of God's Spirit is working in such a way that we get strength that we didn't have before. We get self-control that we didn't have before. Certainly the fruits of the Spirit. And so we are able to overcome. We become overcomers. Look, it doesn't mean we don't see the lousy stuff that's happening around us, possibly with family, friends, other situations. But God shows us how to be overcomers so that we can have joy even when we are sorrowful. And that is, that is a God revival type thing. And, and we can't say that we are revived and not be joyful. That just doesn't work. So we have to seek after 
God again, because he's the one who's going to bring joy to us. Number eight, believers have a greater ability to overcome. Oh, I did that one. Yeah. Well, see, I really meant that. Uh, number nine, culture and society are influenced by believers. You think? Yeah, and it just said we need that. Um, yeah, we're living in a really, really dark time. People all around us, they don't even know what sin means anymore. Because sin now is not only legal, but it gets preferential treatment. <laughs> I mean, how is this possible? 50 years ago, something was against the law, and now we're pushing it. Um, you know, this is the enemy working over time. But we are very clear from Scripture that the light overcomes the darkness. And we just have to let our light shine. We cannot allow darkness. Now, the thing is, I, I've got to tell you something, that you cannot overcome darkness with darkness. So everybody who thinks that as long as you tell the truth, it's okay, it isn't that isn't the only thing. You have to tell it in a way that shows light. Otherwise, the truth won't be listened to and it will just be seemingly darkness. So when you're overcoming darkness, you have to have God's spirit in you so strongly that you overcome the desire to put your flesh in the conversation. And instead, you allow the light of Messiah that is working within you to be what people see. It's, it's really critical. How do, how do we get revived? Well, first of all, it's a supernatural work of God. But let me just say this. Does that mean we should sit around and wait for revival? No. After all, you know, I just said it was up to God. It's his timing. Which is true, to a point. But God wants us to always seek after him because we love him and we want to show our obedience to him. And part of that obedience is to seek him and seek when we seek him and get closer to him, we will be revived. It's that simple. Revival follows. And even if nobody else in the congregation is revived, it doesn't mean you can't be revived. Unless you want to take your cue from other people instead of God. And that doesn't sound like revival to me. Now, Here's the thing that drives everybody crazy. Do you know what it is, Donna? What am I about to speak about? What drives people the most crazy of anything I ever talk about? No. Okay. No. No. You'll never forget it after tonight. You must 
be a hypocrite. That's, the, that's what I'm expecting. You must become a hypocrite. Well, let me see if I can explain it. A hypocrite feels one way and acts differently. The definition of a hypocrite is a person who puts on a false appearance of virtue or a person who acts in contradiction to their stated feelings. So don't get upset, don't walk out yet. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. What are the first two words? Always. Rejoice always. Now, let's just stop there. And then, and then later on it says, in everything give thanks. Now, does rejoice always mean rejoice always? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean even when I'm sad, depressed, angry, and irritated, I am to rejoice? You hypocrite! <laughs> if I rejoice when I feel bad, am I a hypocrite? Of course. By definition, people could say I'm not being honest with my emotions. But that's because I don't want my emotions to rule my life. I don't want them to run my life. I want God's word and his spirit to run my life. So, I guess if I'm preaching rejoice always and don't rejoice always, I'm also a hypocrite. So actually, either way, people will see us as either crazy or a hypocrite. So rejoice. <laughs> because if you get upset when they call you a hypocrite, then you will be showing darkness. But if you rejoice, you'll be showing the light. Now, I know somebody's going to say, yeah, but if it's fake, won't they? Okay, let's not get too into that. But I'm just saying that God's saying to rejoice always. He's telling us to thank him always. And I believe uh, that we can do this. Um, there's a, a quote I have here. It's by Erasmus. And it says this, a nail is driven out by another nail. Habit is overcome by habit. So what that means, if you'd like the interpretation, is if you have a lousy habit and you get a new habit, it will be the thing that overcomes the bad habit. So rejoicing is overcoming the bad habit of going, oh, poor me, oy vey. So, if God wants us revived and we want to be revived, then develop the attributes of revival. Make those attributes a habit and we will be revived. 
It's difficult. But it's a lot of fun trying. I mean, if you like challenges, it's a great challenge for you. I'm prayerful that he will reward me for faithfulness to him. As I think of Isaiah 60, 1 through 4, which is one of my favorite scriptures. And to me, this is all about revival. Even though it doesn't mention the word. The Ruach of Adonai Elohim, the, the, the spirit of the Lord God, is on me because Adonai has a, anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Number one, proclaim the good news. That's revival. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Healing. Revival. To proclaim liberty. Whoa, that's definitely revival. The opening of prison to those who are bound. Whoa, getting rid of spirits. That's revival. To proclaim the year of Adonai's favor and the day of our God's vengeance. To comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. So the people that you're ministering to, they're going to be seen as oaks of righteousness. And if they live in Florida, they're protected. They won't be cut down. But I think spiritually they won't be cut down either, you know, because, because really we ha are under an anointing to minister to people so they'll be like oak, oak trees. The planting of Adonai, that he may be glorified. And then it says they will rebuild the ancient ruins they will restore former desolations. They will repair the ruined cities. Wow, if there's anything we need in this country, I mean, there are a lot of things, but one of the things certainly is to repair the ruined cities and the desolations of many generations. To me, this is all about revival. This is revival. What am I going to do in my efforts to see this happen? Well, I'm, first of all, I'm going to desire revival. I want to be saturated and consumed by this desire. I'm going to trust God for this desire. I'm going to expect God to give this to me. I'm going to be persistent in my expectation. I'm going to practice habits that look like revival, even if I don't feel that way. And I've got to say, this week certainly did test that out a bit. I'm undergirding this with prayer and fasting. I'm going to be fasting on Tuesdays uh, during the rest uh, to Shavuot. I'm going to picture in my mind what I look like as a person going through revival. In other words, if you close your eyes and you say, what, what am I supposed to look like, feel like, if I am revived? What is that going to look like? And... Certainly, I, I'd like to close with a scripture, which to me is all about revival. And that is um, Second Chronicles 7.14.
But before we get there, we go to 11. Because this is an amazing scripture before that. It says, Thus Solomon finished the house of Adonai and the king's palace, indeed all that Solomon had on his heart to accomplish in the house of Adonai. And in his own palace, he successfully completed. Then Adonai appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. Now we can go to Second Chronicles 7.14. When my people, over whom my name is called, humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and heal their land. That's revival. That's revival. So uh, we want God to heal the virus in our land. We want God to heal the sin in our land. We want God to transform the people of our land. We want God to bring unity in our land. We want God to make our politicians and media care about others more than themselves and their ideology. What is your hope that God will bring through revival, family salvation, reconciliation. Our homes need revival. Our churches and synagogues need revival. This nation needs revival. Obviously, the world needs revival. Russia needs revival. Mr. Putin needs revival. Look, no military power can bring revival, no economic upturn can bring revival, and no election can bring a revival. Revival is a sovereign move of the sovereign Lord, and we need to seek revival as number one thing in our life. So as we close, um, would you read Psalm 85 verse 7 with me? Will you not revive us again so your people may rejoice in you? That's a wonderful prayer. Just think about it. It's a wonderful, wonderful prayer. And uh, if for some reason uh, there are people listening to my voice who don't know the Lord Yeshua, then I pray that you will receive him because you can't have revival without knowing Yeshua. Yeshua is where the power comes from. Uh, when he came down, he came down to show us his power. And then when he was resurrected, he left the, the, the Holy Spirit here for us to again have power. And, and so the power is, is with Yeshua. So I just say, if you want revival, say, revive me, O Lord. I understand before I'm revived, I need to receive Yeshua into my heart and my life. I'm sorry for my sin. I receive Yeshua into my heart, for he atones for my sin. I'm dedicated to him forever. Father, I just pray in the name of Yeshua. If anybody said those words tonight in their heart, that they would let us know and we could help them on their journey. May this be a blessed evening. 
a wonderful time where you pour out your spirit in the name of Yeshua.